0: I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversation, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just Bites. All right, everyone, here we go. I'm telling you, this is a powerful and beautiful episode. My guests for today are a father and daughter, Mike Polin and Mary Polin. And this is a powerful episode. Mary was struggling from an eating disorder. I worked with her over 15 years ago. And she sits across from me now as a recovered woman, and her father, Mike, has been an incredible advocate for having parents involved in the treatment process and helping guide them to what works best when you're trying to help your child or loved one with an eating disorder. You are going to feel the love. It was incredible, and I just am really excited. So let's go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I'm going to ask everyone to bear with me through this episode because I'm probably going to cry a lot and it's all tears of joy. I am sitting right now with two very important people to me, Mike Poland and his daughter, Mary Poland. They are here to share with us the father-daughter experience, what Mike's experience was like being a parent with a daughter with an eating disorder. And Mary is the most beautiful soul, someone I worked with. It feels like a lifetime ago and it feels like yesterday. And I can't believe I'm sitting across from you right now as a recovered woman. So I am just going to ask Mike, if you could share and let people know who you are and what you're doing, and then the same thing for you, Mary, and then we're just, we're just going to try to get through this without me weeping.
1: Okay. Um, My name's Mike Poland. I'm a retired teacher, happy to say retired teacher, had a great time to get out. Um, um, Where do I begin? I mean, Mary was diagnosed at 10 years old with an eating disorder. I was a teacher. I didn't even know that eating disorders actually existed. (laughs) Um, I just thought it was a phase she was going through and then fast forward seven years of going through multiple treatment centers and appointments that so many, I can't even remember. We ended up at Montanito, luckily out in Malibu. Um, I knew it, you know, it was either she was going to get better or, you know, bad things were going to happen. So, um, so after I saw Mary starting to recover, I uh, actually I want to thank Carolyn Coston for getting me into uh, talking to to parents and, and Karen. Uh, you know I remember sitting at the steps of Montanito talking to Carolyn and saying, "Wow, you 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 guys helped thousands of women, and I wanted to help, and I thought I could help by um, telling my story and my journey and things I did wrong." things that I did better and uh, I, I I really enjoyed that because I know when when this journey first started I was totally lost you know I was letting my wife take care of all the appointments and you know and then I I, I would go to conferences and not see many dads there so I thought it was very important in the in recovery for the dads to be actively involved in uh, the recovery process so that's basically how I got
0: into it And Mike, you have been so involved. It is, it is unbelievable. So Mary, can you tell the listeners who you are and, and what you do or anything you want the listeners to know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. My name's Mary Poland. Um, I'm recovered from anorexia. I struggled, like my dad said, um, since age 10 and I just, I didn't think recovery was possible whatsoever. Um, And I know, seeing you, Karen, has just been, I can feel that hug that you gave me the first day I stepped into Montanito, where, for me, Montanito was just the last hope. If it was, if that didn't work, um, it was going to be over for me. So, to sit here today and see you, and um, I thought I wasn't going to cry during this one. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I currently live, uh, stayed in California, live down in San Diego. with my boyfriend and I'm currently gonna be attending grad school in the fall. So this was no way when I set foot in Montanito at age 17 where I thought I'd be right now, Um, but incredibly grateful for not only my experiences, but um, where I am now. And thanks to everyone involved, including my dad for never giving up.
0: There's, I I I want to say this is this is never about somebody has to be the sickest to get to be seen um you anybody who's suffering deserves to be seen heard treatment no matter the the severity and I will never forget the day you walked through the door Mary I remember what you were wearing and Mike, I remember you were sitting with her. We were trying to do the admissions paperwork and I tried to serve you a small lunch. And I really do mean a small lunch. And you you were terrified. You couldn't do it. And I said to you, it's okay. We're going to get through this. And look where you are. By the way, I don't want to take credit by saying it's... <laughs> <laughs> wow, listen to me. It's a podcast about Karen Lewis now. So... Where do we begin? I, you know, so listeners know Mike has done many, many talks and groups. When I've been running groups and residential programs, you've come out to do family work. Let me ask, first of all, Mary, what's it like having your dad this involved? What was it like during your eating disorder recovery? Things like that. Let's start there.
2: Yeah, it was great. Quite a transition, um, like my dad said in the beginning, my mom was doing most of the driving to appointments. My dad didn't get involved. My dad and I didn't talk about it um pretty much just like a lot of parents. he thought it was just a phase, and um it was all kind of kept secret from the family I was going to appointments, but it was you know Mary's at the mall with mom, so I think the beginning of that, where we weren't open with the family was. Really hard because then on top of me feeling guilty, I had my siblings very upset with me. Um, But the transition through when my dad—I'm incredibly grateful that he is. I think dads need um, someone to talk with to get a feel for what what is going on here. I'm not understanding this, Um, and I just—I'm so happy that my dad has been able to get involved. And from what we've talked about, he's just impacted a lot of different families in a similar scenario, and I feel like the focus is always on the patient, the one with the eating disorder, and parents need it just as much as a way to, they're getting input from various different professionals and how to work together, because it ultimately is affecting the whole family.
0: Absolutely. Mike, what had you step in and start, I don't know if I want to say taking over, I want to say joining with your wife, Jean, who, by the way, I love. And so we have to give her some acknowledgement here. But what had you step in? Because as much as I don't want to speak from a traditional stereotype, it is a traditional stereotype that the mother is always the one that's taking care of all of the appointments and getting, you know, assessments set up. And how did, how did you become so involved?
1: Well, I, I was the, uh, the drop-off person, you know, I would take Mary to the treatment, get her, get her checked in. And just, I didn't do my homework. You know, I figured going to put her in this facility, the first one for, for 10 days. And when she comes home, she's going to be fixed. You know, I, and then take her to another, uh, facility, drop her off there after a couple of months, bring her home, welcome home party. But it was never about talking about anything, not communicating. And the, the time when I really started to understand was the groups in, in Montanito. I just sit there. At first, I wouldn't say anything. I just listen to get a sense of what's going on in these clients' heads and how they're suffering so much and you know, not realizing the seriousness of the, of the illness. So that's when, uh, you know, like I said earlier, being in the groups, I think they were so helpful for me, but I, I I do honestly feel that parents need some help too. And that, you know, I should have went out myself. The, The facilities didn't really, I wouldn't say didn't really help the parents. The parents need a a part to help understand this too. I mean, you could do all the readings you want. Um, it just wasn't the same as, as just being there because really, like I said, I didn't even know eating disorders existed in the beginning, but sitting there and listening to the suffering and, and, and the way these girls felt and communicating, you know, um, that's where I felt having been through this for years, that i started speaking to parents neater, neater events and things like that because i think like myself you're going in clueless and i tried to figure it out myself and and the, the eating disorder is just much bigger than anything you could tackle at the time you know
0: you know you made an interesting comment at the beginning you said mary you were mary was 10 and you all thought it was a phase that she was going through. And by the way, kids go through phases where, especially with foods, where they eat certain foods and not certain foods. I know this is probably a question that some parents are thinking right now, which is, what what do I do if I see my child suddenly being picky or restrictive or whatnot? Like, when does it go from a phase to a disorder? Like when do you jump in? Like when was it that you and Jean said, "Wait a minute, this is not. This is more than a phase."
1: You know, I, it just probably with most um, people with an eating disorder it was that sense of not relaxing, standing up at the counter, doing the homework, tapping the feet, going out for runs. Um, you know, it just kept snowballing. I always tell parents, it's like, it's like putting a pot of water on a stove and, you know, first it's, it's not, the water's not warm. And then you see something else happen. Then you turn up the heat a little bit, it gets a little hotter to a point where the water just boils over. That's what it would get to instead of communicating and saying, you know, of course I learned this many years after I see you're struggling. Uh, what can I do to help? You know, Mary would go up in a bedroom, and just be, wouldn't say anything, just let her go. You know, instead of going up and and communicating and trying to figure out what this is going, you know, what's going on, and what we can do to help her. You know, say I, I honestly feel that saying something is better than saying nothing at all, and just letting them go disappear and and do what they had they had to do. You know.
0: Mary, you're nodding at that. So as the one who experienced it and as the daughter, like what are your thoughts about that?
2: Yeah, it's a, a very tough line like any family communication. Um, it's a very, very difficult thing. We, as a unit family, we're not the best in communicating, but at the same time, I don't blame them because I was in a state where I'd bite their head off if they tried to come talk to me. Um, for me, anger was like the initial reaction to anybody trying to comment about my eating, my exercise. Um, but I know as the years went on and I had struggled for longer and longer, it was more, I understood it was just sadness. I was like, if someone really, if someone sat down with me and waited for that anger to disappear, the tears would, would just rush in. So it's a very fine line for parents to do the, you know, cause me, I did want them. I knew they cared about me, but at the same time, I love them so much. I didn't want to bite their head off. If that makes sense. It's like this, I wanted the help, but I was so in it, um, that even the discussion was like hard to, it was still very hard for me to communicate.
0: Mary, what do you think? There's another thing that you said at the beginning that I want to highlight, which is, you know, I met you when you were 17. You are now. I hope you're okay with me telling everyone. You're now almost 30, and you said, if you look when when you and I first met at Montanito, you would have never imagined your life to be at this point. I I don't mean to just like jump ahead and say, let's talk about the end. But I know many people that walk in and they're so hopeless and they feel like they've had the eating disorder for so long, or they've missed out on so many things. It's not uncommon to think this is going to be my life. And A, what does it feel like to say to be able to look back now and say, oh my gosh, look at how far I've come. And and how did you do it? How did you get there? Big question, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Loaded question. Um, yeah. it It's unreal right now because I can't even imagine making those choices that I made before. But when I first walked into Montanito, there was no other choice for me. There was no skipping the run. There was no telling you, I'm not going to eat that meal. Um, In my mind, it was just, this is how it is. And this is how it's going to end. But then even I'm all over the place, but thinking of in one of the groups with you, how you talked about being at a party and being able to relax and eat hamburgers and drink beers and things like that, where I had a moment. And when I was in undergrad, where I was like, so this is what she was talking about. This to be fully engaged with so many different friends, I never thought was possible. There's a sense of once you let the eating disorder start to leave you, it opens up so many doors to so many more people and so many more experiences where you're fully present. Um, and I remember seeing the staff at Montanito always thinking, I want to have close friends like this. Like these people are amazing. Is it possible to have? a connection with people, um, because I'd never felt that throughout high school. So for me, it was just this sense of wow, it's so much better when I'm present with
0: everybody. Yeah. And that's that's what you noticed, and, and that's what that story was about. It wasn't about the fact that I could actually eat the food. It was that I could be engaged in the entire experience. And that's what you notice. And and gosh, that was 17 years ago, but we were a family that all worked together, right? Like we were like sisters, We we were friends, we were colleagues. And I never even took that for granted because I couldn't connect with people like that when I was in my eating disorder. And in some sense, we were modeling to all of you, this is what recovery is all about. Because most of us working there were recovered. And so it's not about the bells and the whistles and the this and the that. It's just about the deep connection that's so fulfilling and comfortable, right?
2: Yeah. And I thought in the beginning, just, oh, it's so you'll eat your food and you'll just tolerate the fact that you didn't, you know, that's just what you do. Um, But to get to a point where you're not even thinking about the food, you're thinking more about the company while consuming the food. I didn't even think that would be my type of recovery. I thought I've had this for so long. There's no way that this will just be out of my head ever. Um, And I didn't believe it for, for years and years, probably even after leaving Montanito. Um, But I know I always hated when a recovered person would say it just kind of happens, but it's, it is one of those where, relationships and the life you've built mean more than the eating disorder is kind of where I transition to. Why would I ever go back? I have so much now I have so much mm-hmm. more.
0: Mm-hmm. Let me ask, uh, let me, I think I'm going to ask Mike, I'm going to ask you this. What, and I apologize, Mary, I feel like I just sort of cut you off. I'm just so excited. I have so many things I want to talk to the two of you about. Mike, looking back and let's be realistic. Gratefully, Mary survived because Mary, you were, you were quite sick. So, so now we can take a deep breath and say, okay, Mary survived through this. In fact, now she's thriving in life, right? What, what do you look back at and what advice could you give parents about what is the best thing to do? And when I say the best, that's a big, that's a big word, but what is an appropriate way to help your child? What do you definitely not want to do? Like, what are some things you learned that were definitely not right? And Mary, you can jump in on this too with say, with agreeing or disagreeing with your dad about this. So, Mike, what are your thoughts?
1: I, I think, you know, parents, both parents need to be on the same page and they need to be actively involved. Um, you can't have one with one, you know, kind of like opposite ends of the thinking, uh get involved and 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 like I said earlier, do you do your homework, um get involved with groups and 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 get some some help yourself um so you could better understand what what's actually going on. You know, like I said, it was like I, I'm a T te- I was a phys ed teacher. I didn't even, you know, I, I didn't even realize with the with the eating disorders they were out there, but I did learn like after the fact, after Mary going through this and after I started coaching, I could actually talk. I, I coached girls basketball for 15 years. I could actually see some girls that I'd speak to and say, listen, you need to have some, some snacks before, you know, totally different way of thinking as far as the, the coaching goes. But like I said, I, I thought I could figure this out myself. I thought this is going to blow through and we'll be done and, and things will move on. But I did I am very thankful for Montanito when you were there, Karen. I still remember walking through the door. Here I was, I flew from New York to L.A., place I'd never been before, and I, I just dropped Mary off at this, this house, basically, and then I had to leave, not knowing. But I knew as soon as I walked through that door, when I saw you and I saw Keisha, that it was a different vibe of any facility Mary had been in. So I knew she was in good hands and and then when I met Carolyn, obviously, you know, it was just a perfect mix for Mary to be in at that point in her life. Perfect people to be around. And, you know, that's one thing I would say to parents also, like some therapists don't work well. They don't connect with, Mary had therapists that you could tell they weren't connecting and not to be jumping from one therapist to the next. know, give it a little bit of time, but we spent a year with somebody that Mary wouldn't even talk in, 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 you know, the sessions. Um, but I think parents need to realize that. And I started to realize it too, that it's really, you know, how serious the illness is, especially when Mary had a couple of friends that had passed away, uh, because of various reasons. And then you say, oh my God, this, this really is serious stuff here, you know?
0: Yeah. Mary, what do you think your dad, your mom and your dad tried to do to support you but sort of had a little bit of a backfire experience or like what what definitely doesn't work? And and then we'll go into what does work, but I think it's important to say no, that isn't going to work. And by the way, things don't work for some people and they work for others, so let's talk about for you though.
2: Yeah. Um I think in the beginning what definitely didn't work was the very aggressive approach of don't do this you're going to be eating this right now um which is easier said than done like if I had a daughter I'd want to do the same thing um but maybe I would say in doing that say you're suggesting eating or not going for a run also sitting and talking about what's going on like is it something at school are you upset um, I can't say my response would have always been amazing, but, um, needless to say, it could be frustrating, but I feel like instead of, cause then I just felt my whole family had this anger towards me because I wasn't, I was just doing something for attention. Um, I guess that's another thing too. If you have siblings, including them in on what's going on, cause I constantly felt this shame and guilt for taking away from my other siblings, because I felt like they thought I was doing it for attention. Um, so I think trying to get the family all on the same page and communicating about emotions, which when I was 10 years old, definitely didn't want to do. Um, but the approach of just saying, eat this, don't exercise did not help. Um, And then additionally, when I went into treatment centers, having parents kind of let the treatment team take hold and start doing it as much as I called my poor dad, like every treatment center, calling him, telling him to take me out. I don't want to be here. Just torturous. Um, Having a little faith in a treatment center that you've done some research on and feel, you know, to let let it begin so that there isn't, I know in the beginning, I'd just immediately say, I don't want to be here because I didn't want to eat anything. I didn't want to be stuck in treatment. Um, so I would say just being open with emotions on top of, you know, obviously I need to eat. I need to do that. Um, but just to have a sense of what else is going on. Cause it's not about the food.
0: I don't mean to interrupt this, but Mike, I want to ask you, what is it like to be on the receiving end of that phone call? Because parents don't want to hear their children in this much distress. And like you said, Mary, if you've done your research and you know it's a good program, how do you still hold firm and say, I know you want to leave, but you can't? How did you How did you and Jean navigate through that?
1: Oh my gosh, we would be leaving the treatment center and hanging on to the car. And, um, very difficult. But uh, I'm losing my thought. Still, it's still very emotional for me when I look back sometimes. But uh, I want to say, um, luckily, we found. With your program, I think it was a total different philosophy from what we had been through. It was, you know, try to try to fix the thinking and the food will come later. You know, I think Mary was always compliant at facilities where you had to eat this. If you didn't eat this, you had to do something else. But, I mean, from the first step when you were running the program, you know, to try to get them to think a little bit clearer um, and then the food will come later. I think I think that's the philosophy that that Mary uh, bought into.
0: Beautiful, Mary. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, I was just thinking about specifically all the treatment centers I had been in where I'm very compliant. I I'm a rule follower. I don't want to break the rules. I don't want to get in trouble. It's like one. It's still one of my biggest fears. Um, so for me, um, when I got to Montanito, I vividly remember sitting in one of the chairs um, and Carolyn came up and she had said something like, do you think you can be recovered? I was like, I don't know why I'm here. It's not gonna happen. And all she said is, okay. It was like the first time that I was like, no one's forcing anything on me. Like this, this is so different. It's not this, I have to do this so I don't get in trouble. It put the ownership on me and I was like, whoa this is a whole different feeling <laughs> now now it feels bad if i'm like saying saying that but um taking ownership and doing it for me rather than just to
0: get through and not get in trouble i think i think my experience when when i was going through it 30 years ago was i was always so ready to defend myself in my eating disorder and how i wasn't that i i i think If, if, if I had met Carolyn when I was sick and she said that to me, I would have been like, I think first of all, I would have been shocked and I would have felt all my armor kind of fall off and say, oh, this is different. Okay. Let's see. And, and we're, we're defending it because it is in our mind, or at least it was in mine. It was actually saving me from everything. So why would I give that up? So if people are trying to take it away. I'm going to hold on to it for dear life, right? And so when someone just goes, okay, you're like, oh, so you're not going to try to pull it away from me. That's the difference, I think. That's where I was going. Nobody was trying to yank it away from you. We were all saying, you're here. It's your choice. And let's see what happens.
2: Yeah, it definitely left me with this. Oh wait a minute. So you're not going to keep trying. You're not going to attack me with it. And these decisions are going to be my own process. Um, was something totally different for me. And it definitely took down
0: that armor. I was like, well, you know what? Maybe I'll give this a try. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike, you look like you were going to say something or did I just create that in my mind? Oh no,
1: no. <laughs> I mean, I have plenty to say. I could talk all day long on it, but, uh, let me, just, you, yeah, let me ask you let me ask you about
0: that, though, forgive me for interrupting. and by the way, you do have a lot to say, and it's really beautiful, and I have had the honor of sitting in many groups, many family support groups with you, listening to you, talk to parents. What got you to this level? Like I know you said you were sitting and talking to Carolyn and saying, "I need to do more." but Mike, you have really jumped in. And as a parent, I mean, you have, you have gone above and beyond. And by the way, everybody hear me. This does not mean that in order to be a good parent, you have to do this. This is what your calling was though. So how, how did you get to this point? Well, you
1: know, I, I, I look back at, you know, how I suffered um, and I wanted to give the newbie parents that had, first jumped into this, some suggestions of what worked for me and what didn't work for me, things that nobody ever told me. I mean, I just basically sat through meetings and kind of not half listening, but I think to be real and say, listen, you know, the way I thought that she would, Mary would be, you know, back healthy after, after six months or two weeks in a facility that it's it's really not a sprint you know it's 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 a marathon and if I could give parents a couple of tips on what to look out for or or what things work how things you know things that help me then I could help the parents because like I said earlier I think that the the parents need need a lot of help too.
0: I want I want to talk in a minute about some of those tips. So hold this thought, because I know Mary wants to say something, but it's important, Mike, because I want I'm i am assuming parents are like, well, what are these tips that they need to hear? So, Mary, go ahead.
2: Um, yeah, just in response to that, I think it is incredibly important for the parents to also get help they need. They can't put their whole life on hold and fully dedicate it to just doing one thing because then the parents also suffer. So then everybody's suffering. Um, being able to have still your own life, which I know is easier said than done, but not living it with your daughter, or son suffering um, with an eating disorder. And then the other topic was just getting, when your child comes home from a treatment center, understanding that it is not over. Like it is just beginning because that was a tremendous amount of pressure every time I came home to feel like I had to show them that I was all better when I was still just on the beginning of my recovery journey.
0: I agree. I I, I stress this often that when somebody leaves whatever level, residential, inpatient, residential, partial hospitalization, intensive outpatient, we're in the, we're in the, we're in the muck. We're we're doing the work there. This is, this is not anywhere close to the end of the journey. And so it is really important for parents to know that because I do think a lot of people get blamed for not wanting the recovery or not doing it when families are not understanding. You just went from 24 hour care to nothing. To therapists and clinical directors and dietitians and nursing and peers all helping you through a meal, to a family system that is not supposed to be a clinical director, a dietitian. A cl- you know what I mean? so it's, it's really complicated, it's really complicated. I appreciate that you continue to say easier said than done, and the reason why is because yes easier said than done, but you still need to do it. Like everything, everything that my parents went through, Mike, everything that you and Jean went through, yes, I can sit back now and say, oh, my parents did this. It's easier said than done, but it's evidence that you can get through it. It's really important to remember that. It's evidence. Don't expect it to be easy and you'll get through it if you keep moving forward. That's what I wanted to comment on. So Thank you for reminding me.
1: Well, the point that I try to make with parents, especially having been through what we do, we've been through is recovery is possible. And I, I, I honestly wasn't sure if that was going to happen or not. And all the things that Mary has been through for her to make it through is, is you know, thanks to you guys. And I'm, I'm thinking like we struggled when she came out of the facility and came home, just like you said a few minutes ago. Trying to navigate all this, we're not a therapist, which was great. When in Bellamar, when Mary got sent for a transitional, I think that was a game changer, where you weren't thrown right back into school pressure with with friends, grades, everything else. Like sort of gradually gets you back into the real world by you know you guys got her a little little job at a coffee shop, and then she started to take in a class and. And you know, thank goodness we had you know insurance, and 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 Carolyn worked with us over at Bellamar to not just jump back into the fire because that's exactly what would happen, which is the wheels would fall off and we we would be back again. But I do want parents to to realize that it's going to be setbacks. You know, everything isn't going to be keep moving up and up. There could be you know three steps forward and two steps back. But as long as they keep keep pushing forward you're still going up you know and it got to a point where I remember Mary saying when I kind of stopped worrying about her you know she was going through a a tough time and she said I know if I went back to that eating disorder it would just make things worse so that's when I knew I go okay you know she's out of the darkness and you know, still moving forward, where she very easily could have fell right back into the same routines that she did before, so she did the she did the hard work. she could have very easily fallen back into it but but there will be there will be times where there's going to be setbacks, but you know, I would just freak out, "Oh my God, not this again, you know, just like, and I'm sure Mary felt the the pressure, you know when she sees us all you know stressed out and stuff that it's all her fault and and I do think, and Mary made a good point before, that, you know, siblings need to be involved in the process. We, we did the old, because we didn't know, there was no manual, divide and conquer. Okay, Gene, you're going to go to Philadelphia and I'll, I'll stay home with the kids. We just didn't leave the kids, you know, defend for themselves. But we kind of tried to kept them, kept them out of it, which now as I look back, maybe if we, and it's always easy to look back. Um, got them more involved. uh, It would have been a lot, as far as the family dynamics, would have been a lot better.
0: That's a really interesting point. And Mary, maybe you can speak to that. So if other listeners are going through something similar, what, what do you think would have been the benefit of having your siblings more involved and less in the way that your dad was saying it was sort of divide and conquer, which as you said, Mike, and it's true, hindsight is 20 I mean, we we recognize things after we've gone through them, but thank God you recognize that. So now you can share this with people. So Mary, what do you think would have helped or been beneficial about having your siblings more involved?
2: Yeah. I mean, as as much as I don't like to admit it, I'm an incredibly sensitive person. So I'm constantly assuming that people are feeling certain ways that may not be true. Um, to have them involved, to even express their own. I know there was anger because I was getting all this attention. I know there was resentment and not understanding, but I would have rather heard that in a session, whether they felt comfortable doing that than assuming when I come home that everybody's angry with me. Um, And it would also have given me space to explain to them I wasn't wanting attention. I was actually wanting to disappear so that the family could go on without me and not have me, sorry, kind of take down the whole unit. So it would have been hard for me to hear the anger from all my siblings, but it also would have been a relief in my mind that they were expressing themselves as well, not just me.
1: I tell you, one other thing that helped me while I'm hearing Mary talk about that was the um the help of the therapists. Like we were in New York, Mary was in California. We did some phone sessions. We had things on our chest that we wanted to say that we could have never said just the two of us face to face. And uh, you know, Keisha was like the she was like the moderator when we were on the phone. You know, I could say what I wanted to and she could kind of like explain to Mary where I was coming from. And then the flip the flip side also, there were things that you would never say just you know face to face, things that were on my mind and things, but that that was that was very, very helpful, you know, to use that therapist in a in a positive way to try to you know, keep every everybody out of like reading each other's minds. She really knew what was on their on their mind and and how they felt instead of like thinking about, oh, dad's. Dad's stressed out. He's angry, and that, that would affect her, you know. And I, and I would say, "Yeah, I'm angry because this." And plus, we weren't face to face, so you wouldn't see if I said something, Mary give you this dirty look, like, "What are you talking about?" So that was that was even better doing it by phone. <laughs> and now you have Zoom. You could see you could see the faces. So right. We didn't have to see the faces. It was great.
0: God, and I remember right. the phone in the middle of the on the table in the middle of the room, and we'd all be leaning towards it to make sure yeah. we all heard each other. Wow, Mary, you you recovered just in time before you could show those those angry faces to your dad <laughs> those, over those daggers. There. <laughs> those
1: daggers. <laughs> those daggers shooting at you. And by the way, Mary, those <laughs> daggers
0: at all, we all have at least I as a daughter had for my father even though I love him more than anything in the world, it's called being a daughter. So <laughs> again, my experience everyone. So Mike, share a little bit more about what tips you have for parents
1: oh my gosh I have so many I know sat down the presentation that I I do I have a whole packet I could go on and on but like I said using that therapist as a a mediator um those group sessions I'm not sure if every place has those uh because that really enlightened me a lot on far as what what's what was going on in in their heads and everything I just sit back and listen um as I said earlier there's going to be some setbacks Be there to support, you know, not not fix everything because, you know, dads like to fix things. So it just was you couldn't fix it. So just to be there. And I think communication is is critical. Um, And like I said, recovery is possible. I mean, if I mean, Mary, if Mary can make it through, I think anyone, if they have the support that's needed, can can do the same and leave leave a normal life.
0: I also want to give parents permission to be angry. It's okay. I want them to have permission to be frustrated and scared and sad. We're not saying just always be there for your child and just listen to, and, you know, let, let, let that come out naturally. It's okay. My, my parents were angry. My parents were frustrated and terrified. That's part of the process. That's part of being human.
1: You know, one other important thing, and I think is parents should not stop doing what they enjoy. In other words, whether you like, for example, I like to ride motorcycles. I wouldn't even be doing that because what happened to me, like happened to Mary. It's like the eating disorder totally consumed your life. You know, similar, you wake up in the morning, you think about it. so. If you golf, go golf, you know. Um, it's not like things are gonna get better if you don't go golfing, but at least you'll have a better mindset when you come back that you're not you're not focusing totally your whole day on this eating disorder.
0: I love that you call being on your motorcycle as wind therapy. Yeah, wind therapy. That's <laughs> I think it's beautiful. I love it. But I should have
1: got I should have got real therapy back in the day. <laughs> I mean, I'm still still feeling the, how do you want to put it, the uh, the wrath of the eating disorder. When I look back, it, it was, it was some rough years, really dark years for me. I,
0: I think for all of you, as evident as both of you have, have gotten to tears during this episode. And so that's, that's okay. Even though it's in the rear view mirror and the it's behind It's internalized in all of you, the experience, and it's made all of you who you are in this moment. My eating disorder made me who I am. And I'm Mary, I'm not saying, thank God you went through that eating disorder because now you are who you are, but that's what happens. And there is still a lot of emotion attached to it.
1: Yeah, it's like opening up an old wound, you know when you start thinking about it, kind of kind of put it in the back of your mind, and when you start thinking about how it was, you realize how bad it really was,
0: yeah, and you also realize, and Mary, I think you can agree with this that in spite of everything, you can still get through all all parts of life without an eating disorder, right?
2: yeah, it's unbelievable i've I've discussed this with multiple friends, just me previously thinking the eating don't take this the wrong way but the eating disorder was like the hardest thing I'll ever go through. I was like what <laughs> what the hell? Like life is there are so many more difficult things in life. Like the eating disorder now I was like that's just the easy way out at this point for me. Um but I think the strength that I developed from re- through my recovery process has allowed me to face these um, various hurdles in just being a part of the world and developing new relationships and building a life for yourself where those weren't even on the horizon when I was going through my eating disorder. It wasn't even, you know, where are you going to live? Who you, who are you going to be dating? Um, yeah. But I think the process that I've been through has definitely helped me with communication, with staying Really knowing who I am and what I want, um, which I had no idea before,
0: we are going to have to start wrapping this up soon, which devastates me because I love the two of you so much and i I do have a final question, but before I ask that, is there anything that either of you or both of you want to share, anything you want to say that I didn't ask what what can I? What would you like to say? And it might be nothing. And we might just go to the final question.
2: Go ahead, Dad.
1: I mean, I, like, <laughs> no, I, I, could, I could talk for days, but I, I, I want to thank you for giving us the
0: opportunity to do this. My pleasure, Mike. Mary, I'm sorry. Did you have anything to say?
2: Yeah, I just want to thank my dad, my mom, both my parents for, I never could have done it without them. I know it was not easy years and years. They could have easily been like, we're not doing this anymore, but they held on to the hope that I had fully lost. Felt like they kept it in a little box for me. Um, even whether or not they believed it or, or they were still struggling with believing it. Um, just having my parents continually there, which I can't say the same for everyone I interacted with. Like I have amazing parents. Um, and. They stuck it out for me, held on the hope. And I'm so glad today that um, we have the relationship that we do. And this that it didn't have to end that way. And in addition, I just want to thank you, um, the whole Montanito community, but especially you for inviting me onto the podcast. I feel like I haven't outwardly spoken about this. Um, my dad and I talk all the time, but just the importance of parents being involved and. Connecting back to um, everything that's happened, so thank you
0: Mary it is it is more than a pleasure to see you and hear your voice and just share this stage of life with you is is a gift that I don't think all clinicians get, and for that, I thank you. so all right I, I gotta do a hard turn though. I mean, I love you both. And it's time, it's time for the question. So, and either of you can answer first. If someone were to write about you on a bathroom stall, what would it say?
1: You know, I, I tried to think of something clever or funny or so. I, I, I drew a blank. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to say just, he's a good guy. Mike is a good guy. And that's, that's what I would want.
0: It's true.
2: I okay. love that. <laughs> I love that because you are you are now
1: oh, your turn, and my turn. <laughs> um,
2: mine I thought about it for a while but I kept coming back to um, she has a laugh that heals
0: yes you do
2: because I just feel yeah the laughter was my my biggest medicine and what helped me find who I was finding out that I was actually pretty funny
0: yeah you are <laughs> by the way, I feel like that's a theme with a lot of people. Like I figured out after I recovered that I'm funny too very yeah. And by the way, not everyone does, but i I to myself, I think I'm funny. Yeah, and same so, here right?
1: See well if they don't if they don't think you're funny, that's their problem.
0: There it right? is <laughs> that's, that's what it's gonna say on the bathroom stall for me. If you don't think I'm funny, that's your problem. <laughs> I cannot thank the two of you enough. This has been one of the most special episodes for me. So I just want to say thank you again from the bottom of my heart for being here today. Thank you so much. It's always great to
1: see you, Karen. That's why Zoom is better. We get to
0: see you. I know. I know. I know.
1: (laughs) We'll see you. We'll see you soon.
0: Oh, yes. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. So everyone, as much as I hate to say it, we're going to have to end. So thank you for listening to another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. We Hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at, at recoverybytespod.com. On Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast sign up to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It's unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite.